RN Survival Radio Network. Hello and welcome to the Weekly Wellness Show, your resource for better health. This show is brought to you live and by podcast on the Survival Radio Network. I'm your host, pharmacist, physician, entrepreneur, Dr. Aaron Williams. We hope that you had a very productive week. And now you are enjoying an amazing day. Hopefully your plans today include some fun, some healthy foods, unless it's your cheat day. Hey, then go for it. And don't forget to add a little bit of exercise. You know, speaking of exercise, last week we talked about the benefits of having a fitness partner, an exercise partner, studies show that you can improve your results and motivation by having a fitness partner. We also talked about the benefits of having non-toxic products in your home, and we mentioned several ways to buy prescription drugs online. Now, buying your prescription drugs online is not illegal. It's legal. Now, I'm not a big fan of it because somehow it, replaces the face-to-face communication between you and your pharmacist, and that's what I think everyone needs if they have prescription drugs. But because of the soaring drug prices, a lot of Americans are looking online to buy drugs, specifically from Canada. I have a lot of patients myself that they get their prescription drugs from Canada because it's, it's cheaper than what they can get in the U.S. But you've got to be careful. Last week I mentioned looking for the seal on any website of any online pharmacies. It should say verified internet pharmacy practice sites. We're going to post that on our Facebook page. But those are some things we talked about last week. We've had some other great shows with some dynamic guests. So if you miss any of these, go to www.weeklywellnessshow.com. Then scroll down in the on-demand section and look for the Weekly Wellness Show. It has an orange and green logo. You can also go to our Weekly Wellness Show Facebook group page. Just go to Facebook, put in Weekly Wellness Show, and you should be there. We invite you to join. That way, you can stay updated and listen to the podcast as many times as you'd like. We are also on Facebook and iTunes. So with iTunes, you can subscribe free of charge, and that way you get your shows automatically. Now, next week, Paula Maddox, an author and leadership and executive coach, will be here to talk about her book, The Soul Journey of Change, The Pathway to Personal Freedom. So we're going to talk about leadership and personal freedom and how do you get there? She's an expert at that. So I hope you join us next week. Now, if you have any questions or topics, please email me at Dr. Aaron Williams at weeklywellnessshow.com. Follow me on Twitter at Dr. Aaron Williams. And again, we're on iTunes and Facebook. Now, we are grateful to have you join us today. Hey, and for our Spanish-speaking friends, Bienvenidos. Estamos encantados de contar contigo. Yes, I've been working on my Spanish. In fact, I'm a longtime student and fan of the language. Speaking of second languages, we know that learning a foreign language can help you, particularly if you are in a career that requires a lot of travel uh, or if just traveling for pleasure. We know that, you know, learning a little bit of another 
country or area's language can, can be of benefit, but there's a growing body of evidence that shows that there are health benefits for learning a foreign language. I'll probably go through six. Number one, you know, the studies from the University of Chicago have shown that people who speak another language are able to pick up on nuances and subtleties in any given situation. They have a heightened appreciation of complexities of that situation, which can lead to a more rational decision-making in many areas. They noticed that the people who only spoke one language tend to base their decisions more on emotions. So better decision-making skills were seen in this study from the University of Chicago. Now, number two, a recent study published in the Journal of Experimental Child Psychology aimed to find out what effect learning a foreign language had on a child's memory. This study found that bilingual children perform much better than monolingual children on tasks using their working memory. Now, they describe working memory as memory that deals with the storage and processing of information over a short period of time. So the conclusion of that study was that the knowledge base and the working knowledge helped those children to have an improved memory. The third thing they found was that was an increased attention span. This was recorded in a study in a journal called Brain and Language. So the benefits of your study skills don't just stop with your memory. Uh, it showed that a bilingual person who's accustomed to switching between different languages, deciding which is the appropriate language to use in a given situation, was required to focus and filter information. So increasing your attention span is one of the other benefits. Another is improve the ability to multitask. There was a study done by the National Institutes of Health that discovered that because bilinguals have a better working memory, they can focus their attention and disregard distractions. So speaking two languages and speaking between them made people in that study better multitaskers. Another benefit was a better cognitive ability that was shown by research at the University of Edinburgh. It suggests that bilingual people score better on tests of reading, verbal fluency, intelligence. That was regardless of what age the people in the study were. So it's never too late to learn a second language in order to improve your cognitive skills. And the biggest thing that's been found, given all the benefits that I've previously mentioned, a large study has shown that this can help you decrease the incidence or, of dementia or delay the onset of dementia up to five years. So that study showed that people who had learned a second language had a delay in the onset of dementia compared to people who only spoke one language. So I think there's a lot of benefits from travel, from career. It makes it – it's easy today. I mean, all you have to do is download an app. You can go on YouTube. I personally use an app called Duolingo. That's D-U-O-L-I-N-G-O. I like it because it's free, number one. Number two – I like it because you can start at any level. So whether you are at zero level or at level three, you can start there. So take a look at it and think about it. You know, the other advantage of this, you can find a person who speaks another language and make a new friend, and that is a great added plus. So today we have another exciting show for you along with an interesting topic and a dynamic guest. You know, last week I told you that this week we're going to talk about heart disease. And, you know, heart disease is the leading cause of death for both men and women. In fact, more than half of the deaths due to heart disease were in men, but, you know, women are catching up. In the United States, someone has a heart attack every 42 seconds. And, of course, with all the health care debate that we're having here, Heart disease costs the United States $207 billion. 
That's billions with a B each year. Now, the heart is an amazing organ, as you know. And just to throw out some amazing facts, did you know that the heart beats 72 times a minute for a total of 100,000 beats in a day? It's the hardest working muscle in your body. It pumps out 2,000 gallons of blood through 600,000 miles of blood vessels each day. Even at rest, it takes only 16 seconds from blood to go from the heart to the toes and then to the heart. So we have to take care of it. And to help us do that, I've asked a renowned interventional cardiologist, Dr. Balucho Baccaridi, to join us today to discuss this topic on heart disease and how to prevent it. But first, we'll go to our first commercial break. So please, stay tuned and be informed. Adopt U.S. Kids presents Multiple Choice Parenting. Your daughter just had her first breakup. Do you, A, put yourself in her shoes? How could he do this to you? And for Sheila, she, she has split ends. B, console her. Oh, sweetie, this is going to happen a lot. Four, maybe five more times before you get married. C, take charge. Got to get this all straightened out. Keep a little talking to, man to man, mano a mano. Hey, Steve. It's now a good time? No? Okay, no problem. Bye. Or D, help her find a new boyfriend. I know a great place to meet boys. The internet. Nice, single boys. Never mind. How about some ice cream? As a parent, there are no perfect answers. But you don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. Thousands of teens in foster care will love you just the same. For more information on how you can adopt, visit AdoptUSKids.org. A public service announcement from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Adopt U.S. Kids, and the Ad Council. Oh, my goodness. You mean to tell me you haven't heard yet? You don't know what I'm talking about. Oh, wait a minute. Let me break it down and make it plain. On August 13, 2017, one of the greatest events is going to take place. This is the 6th Annual Nonprofit Trinity Awards that's going to be taking place at the Porter Sanford Performing Arts Center. Now listen, men, you've got to have your swag. Women, you've got to wear your finest, your gowns, because at 5 p.m., there's going to be a photo op session. Yes, people are going to walk down the red carpet, have their photos taken. It is going to be wonderful. Mix and mingle, they'll be all dirty. What is this all about? Well, let me tell you. On August 13, 2017, at the Porter Sanford Performing Arts Center, it's going to be the Nonprofit Trinity Awards, the sixth annual one, that is. For more information, you've got to go to www.nonprofittrinityawards.org. Don't miss this great event. It's going to be second unto none. you got to be there. Hope to see you. Show your resource for better health on the Survival Radio Network. I'm your host, Dr. Aaron Williams. Our guest today is Dr. Felucio Bakareti. He grew up in Nigeria and immigrated to the U.S., specifically New Jersey, as a teenager. He attended Rutgers University, where he obtained a bachelor's of arts degree in biology and a minor in economics. He received his medical degree from the UMDNJ, Robert Wood Johnson Medical School in Camden, New Jersey. After that, he completed his internship and residency in internal medicine at New York City's Presbyterian Hospital. He then went on to complete a fellowship in cardiology, interventional cardiology, and endovascular intervention at Cooper University in Camden, New Jersey. During his fellowship, he was named Chief Cardiology Fellow. Now, after completing training 
He joined a private practice in Tennessee, and in 2015, he started Cardiovascular Solutions of Central Mississippi. He specializes in interventional cardiology with a focus on complex peripheral intervention. He lectures a lot on preventive cardiology, particularly women's heart health and peripheral vascular disease. So, without further ado, let's welcome to the show, Dr. Felucio Baccarini. Hey, Great, great. We are so glad that you're able to join us today. I know that you are keeping all the hearts pumping uh, in your city and in your area. Uh, I am just glad that I was able to get an expert such as yourself in this area because, you know, as I mentioned before, the heart is a very important organ, organ, and, uh, you know, sometimes they get in trouble, so we need doctors like you to help us out. And I, I, first of all, thank you for the opportunity and the platform. Um, I really enjoy your show and I look forward to um, sharing the wealth of information with uh, your audience today. Great. Great. Well, you know, I mentioned some of those numbers before or earlier in the show talking about, you know, the incidents. Do you see a lot of that in your practice uh, in your area with the high incidence of heart disease? Yes, I do. Um, uh, first of all, you know, just to start off, uh, cardiovascular disease includes problems involving the heart and blood vessels, um, many of which are related to processes called uh, atherosclerosis, which is the accumulation of plaque in cells that leads to narrowing of the blood vessels and then leads to disease states. And so um, just wanted to define that before we um, went further. I, I am located... Um, in the epicenter, actually, of cardiovascular disease, uh, which is here uh, in the south, uh, where we have um, the highest prevalence of coronary disease, um, peripheral vascular disease, diabetes, hypertension, and obesity. That's mm. top three in the country in, in all those areas. So, yes, I do see that. And um, wow. our goal is the disparity that has plagued this area because we also have one of the lowest patient-to-physician ratios. So you don't get to see a lot of specialists like myself here in this region. And so uh, we take pride in the work we do here and um, just look forward to treating every patient like a family member as they come through. Right. Yeah, that's very important. Uh, you know, when you get in trouble, you want to find a a, 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 a physician that, that, that understands your situation, that's... Uh, uh, family-oriented, that, that is able to break down the information to you. So you understand why you have the disease and why you have the treatment. You know, with regard to the heart, I mentioned earlier that the function is so important. Um, pretty much drives everything uh, that we do. But like you said earlier, the cardio, cardio, cardiology or cardiovascular disease encompasses the heart and vessels. So Suffice it to say, I'm assuming, and of course I know, but this is for the audience, that there are different types of heart disease. Correct. Um, I'll, so I'll, I'll just uh, add on to uh, what you said. Um, you know, cardiovascular disease affects more than 70 million Americans. Um, and as you mentioned earlier, it's the leading cause of death in men and women. Uh, we have about 2,500 deaths per day, one in every 25 seconds uh, in terms of mm. cardiovascular disease. Um, it's been the leading cause of death in the U.S. for the past 100 years. Um, every child born today has seven chance of dying from cardiovascular disease, and every adult has about a 60% chance of dying from heart disease. Um, and when you talk about the number of deaths per year, you're looking at about 700,000 deaths per, uh, per year from cardiovascular disease. Um, as you mentioned, uh, it's majority uh are in men. However, one in three women die from heart disease. And we'll get to that later as to why that occurs. Um, and majority of these deaths occur in low and middle income areas. Mm. Um, if you look at the breakdown. Um, and so um, it claims more lives than all forms of cancer combined. Um, and nearly half of all African-American adults have some form of cardiovascular disease. 
um, the breakdown of that being 40% women and 46% men. And when we talk about cardiovascular disease, um, it's broken down into the different types. And one is the term coronary artery disease, also known as acute coronary syndrome. Um, mm. For your lean audience, people will know it as heart attack. Um, and so people have um, uh, heart attacks or can have plaque buildup but have not ruptured, and we call that stable coronary artery disease. Um, the next uh, form is valvular heart disease, which are valves in the heart that regulate blood flow to all the chambers of the heart. Um, and another form is congestive heart failure, which is when the heart cannot pump enough blood to meet the needs of your organs. Um, we also mm. have hypertension, also known as high blood pressure, which is uh, when the pipes um, of the body, uh, which are in the arteries, are overworked and um, are in overdrive mode, and they lead to a high-pressure system, and that can consequently lead to uh, other problems with other organs. Um, you have congenital heart disease, which is basically a defective vessel or a leaky valve or a hole in the heart that you see when you're born, and they carry on to the adult life stage. Uh, we're seeing more of those now in cardiology because we're doing a better mm. job at patients from, from the youth to the adult phase. Um, we also have arrhythmias, which are basically electrical dysfunction. Um, most common form of arrhythmias that we see in cardiology is called atrial fibrillation, where the upper chamber of the heart beats rapidly and chaotically. Um, and it's, it's the most common core, uh, source of strokes that we see in our field, affecting over 6 million people, um, and leads to over 750,000 hospitalizations a year. Um, and then of note, you have peripheral arterial disease, which is basically the atherosclerosis buildup of plaque in all the major blood vessels going to the blood vessels leading to the brain, the blood vessels leading to your upper extremities, the blood vessels leading to the kidneys, and mainly the blood vessels leading to the lower extremities. And that leads poor circulation down the left, down to the limb. And we do see the extreme form of that, which is in the form of amputation. And lastly, um, I just wanted to mention that despite having listed coronary artery disease as one of the main types of heart disease, um, we in the cardiology uh, field do recognize patients who are diabetic as having an equivalent of coronary artery disease because two out of three diabetics will die of cardiovascular disease. So I always mention that as a PS when, when asked mm -hmm. the types of cardiovascular disease because that is, you know, the, the, the statistics shows that in the year 2050, one in three Americans will be a diabetic. So it's, it, it, that is becoming an epidemic, and we're seeing them as youth. It's now, it's now an epidemic that we see in our young adults, and it's something that we're now seeing more predominantly in our adult population. So those are the forms wow. of cardiovascular That is amazing. It's a broad category, and it includes a lot of uh, different diseases, and Unfortunately, a lot of Americans have one, sometimes even uh, have two. Do you see that where, you know, the, out of all these that you mentioned, that, that someone may present and not just have one of those? Absolutely. Uh, that's, um, you know, when you talk about um, the risk factors of um, heart disease, um, you, you consider um, things that we um, have as uh, modifiable and non-modifiable risk factors, which I'll get into. But when you see a patient who comes in with coronary artery disease, for instance, um, mm. that patient has a 50% chance of having carotid artery disease, which is basically a buildup of plaque going to the blood vessels that feed um, blood flow to the brain. Um, you also have another 25 to 40% chance of having um, renal atherosclerosis, which is the blood vessels going to the kidneys. And then you have another 50 to 60% chance of having peripheral vascular disease. So mm -hmm. we call that co-prevalence. And so the co-prevalence of, of um, peripheral arterial disease, of cardiovascular disease, 
is very high. Um, and, and so if one person has uh, risk factors for all these uh, syndromes, you always screen for other disease states, not just the heart, but the kidneys, mm-hmm. the brain, and the lower extremities. A very high prevalence, especially in our diabetic population and in our what I call seasoned population, not elderly. I use the term uh-huh. seasoned. Anyone who is in Wow. Yeah, I like seasoned as well, uh, the older I get. Um, <laughs> well, are, are there signs? I know that, and this is another broad uh, uh, area here. Are there, what, what are some of the signs and symptoms of, of heart disease? And I know this could vary, but. You know what? What do you see? What do you see people coming into your practice complaining of? Sure, um, people can come in with your typical signs of um, doc. I'm having chest pains or what they call chest pressure. You know, sometimes mm-hmm. you kind of eliminate the, the differences between that, and it all depends on where you are in the country and the educational background of the patient, the literacy background of the patient. Uh, some people use different terminology. Um, so chest pain, chest pressure, um, people are short of breath, um, they are fatigued, um, or have mm. increased excess tolerance. Some come with palpitations or rapid heartbeat. Uh, some present with indigestion. Uh, others have sweating. Uh, they feel nauseated. They feel restless. Uh, some of them have had episode fainting spells or what we call syncopal episodes. Um, and mm. some just some just uh, come in. I have a actually well, this is unique. I have a patient who has burping spells, who presents, mm. and that's her experience of her having a heart attack. And that 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 is a rarity, but yeah. <laughs> so it it it, it constellates a broad spectrum, and it all yeah. has to do with um, doing a great job at risk stratifying. And looking at their, you know, other risk factors and family history, because the genetic component is not part of our, our daily medicinal uh, approach and 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 risk um, stratum in defining uh, if patient qualifies for a study or not. So um, we um, one has to to delineate these these uh, these symptoms when you look at men versus women. Uh, more men mm-hmm. present with the full symptoms of chest pain and, and on mm-hmm. exertion. Uh, women present more with fatigue and tiredness and, and restlessness, less so than chest pains. And usually those are ignored, and that's why I think one in three women do have um, do die from heart disease. But they tend to be ignored a little bit more. Uh-huh. Interesting, interesting. So when they come to, uh, come to your office and, and come in, uh, either through the primary care doc or ER, what type of diagnostic uh, uh, tests are done uh, to delineate all these categories? Well, I first I first risk stratify them first and look mm-hmm. at your risk factors. So I look at the age. Things that cannot be changed are your risk factors. Age being right. one of them. Um, you know, anyone eighty three percent of people who die from cardiovascular disease are over the age of sixty five. Um, uh, gender, um, more men than uh, men, or fe- men versus females. Uh, family history, hereditary risk factors. You know, if you have a long family history of heart disease, diabetes, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, um, those are things that we look at. Uh, race plays a role. African Americans are more likely to suffer from cardiovascular disease than their Caucasian counterparts. Um, mm-hmm. And we look at uh, socioeconomic in in. in in that area, in terms of cultural factors, um, because poorer countries and poorer regions have less access to affordable and quality healthcare services. So right. Those, those, and those cannot be modified. But what can be changed in terms of risk factors are um, hypertension, which are high blood pressure, high cholesterol, diabetes, cigarette smokers, anyone who's obese, and anyone who has physical inactivity. And so, mm-hmm. what type of diagnosis? Um, basically are getting the history, taking a physical examination of the patient. Uh, We do an electrocardiogram, also known as an EKG, to look at the electrical conduction of the heart. We can determine if someone is having an acute coronary syndrome or a heart attack. Um, We can look at blood tests to see what their cholesterol levels are. Um, In Mm. the outpatient, 
depending on their risk factors, they can get a calcium scoring um, to determine if they're at risk uh, for heart disease. And that's usually done if you don't think the patient has a high risk for a heart disease. So if you think they're low to intermediate uh, risk factors, you can get a calcium scoring. And that ranges from a calcium score of zero to a calcium score of 400. Uh, the lower you are, the better you are. Mm-hmm. Um, we also do an ultrasound of the heart, also called an echocardiogram, to assess the heart valve to make sure you have no evidence of congenital heart disease or structural heart disease. Um, we also assess the pump function of the heart to make sure that your heart pumps well. So that's why an echocardiogram is important. Um, if you suspect mm. renal or a carotid uh, arteriosclerosis, which is basically doing all the sounds of the kidneys or the neck to determine if the blood flow to those regions are normal. And lastly, ultrasound of the extremities, which are called vascular mm. ultrasound, arterial dopplers, to assess the blood flow going down to the leg. Um, if you want to take it further, you can do a stress test to determine the risk of heart disease in a period of strenuous exercise, either on a treadmill or pharmacological agents that are administered. And lastly, you do an angiogram, which is basically taking a patient under x-ray and look at the, the mm-hmm. photograph flow and the blood flow through the arteries and lymph vessels to see if they have any occluded arteries. Okay, great, great. Okay, well, you know, uh, that's that's a pretty good uh, array of battery of tests, and, uh, and I see why people, you know, when people come in with chest pain, they taste. Sometimes they have to stay a while, and that's the reason why. Um, right. I'd like to get into the treatment and benefit, um, treatment and prevention. But before that, let's go ahead and go to our second commercial break. And when we come back, we'll go through the treatment. But most of all, we're going to also talk about prevention. So stay with us, stay tuned, and be informed. Looking for a cafe with a home-like appeal where all who enter feel like they are part of something? Visit My Coffee Shop, located in East Lake, Atlanta, Georgia. MCS has a full breakfast and lunch menu, offering both hot and cold options, and is home of the amazing basil lemonade. But don't forget their assortment of freshly brewed coffees. Come on by at 2462 Memorial Drive, Atlanta, Georgia, 30317. We're pretty sure my coffee shop at East Lake will become your coffee shop too. iDope, iDope, globally inspired vision stylewear, a fusion of classic heritage and contemporary sophistication. An essential part of your lifestyle and fashion expression. iDope, iDope, vision stylewear for the fashion forward and socially conscious. Let's make this a dope world together. iDope, iDope, available online at iDope.com. That's E-Y-E-D-O-P-E, iDope.com. Survival Radio Network, with now more than one million downloads. Congratulations to the staff, producers, engineers, and hosts for your tireless pursuit of excellence. And thank you, our loyal listeners, for supporting this movement to inspire, motivate, and educate people worldwide. Survival Radio Network, Survival Radio Christian Network, and our new Survival Sports Radio Network broadcast top-notch shows Sunday through Saturday. Check us out by visiting our website at www.survivalradionetwork.us. SRN, we do radio one million strong. The S-R-N. Welcome back. We hope that you are having a great day and enjoying this discussion. You know, it's not common to have an expert cardiologist to give you information. You know, a lot of times you go to the doctor, depending on your insurance company, 
you may have to see a primary care physician before they even let you see a cardiologist. So I feel very uh, blessed today that we have cardiologists here to help us understand heart disease as well as in its prevention. Now, you know, we before the break, we talked about treatment. No, we talked about the diagnosis and incidence of heart disease. So I have Dr. Felucio Faccarati here. Dr. Faccarati, what are some of the treatment options that you might offer patients in your office? Uh, that's a great question. And um, actually, if, if one looks at the majority of patients that come through um, the outpatient setting in the office um, with um, all the risk factors that we listed in our last segment, majority of that, uh, quite honestly, is lifestyle and dietary modifications. That would be my number one treatment plan. Mm-hmm. Because eating healthier, increasing your physical activity, and quitting smoking, all in that, those three things address majority of those problems, which are your high blood pressure, your diabetes, your smoking, and other modifiable um, aspects that we've mentioned. The non-modifiable risk factors, you cannot change. One cannot change their age. One cannot change their family that they're born into in terms of genetics. And mm. one cannot change their, their, their color. But in terms of modifiable risk factors, it's sitting down with them and addressing ways to cut down um, their salt intake. Um, they need to cut down their, uh, fat, uh, their, different, their dietary regimen in terms of fat, cholesterol intake. Um, cut down your um, your sugars because sugar is a new tobacco. Uh, and then uh, for certain patients who do need medications, uh, we start them on medicines to address um, their heart disease. If they're if they've had known plaque buildup, uh, we try and drive down their cholesterol as much as possible. So we start them on cholesterol medicine called statins. Um, mm-hmm. If they high blood pressure, we start them on antihypertensives. Um, if they're diabetic and we know that they have uh, poor circulation, uh, there are antiplatelet agents that we can start them on to decrease the stickiness of the platelets that lead to plaque rupture. Um, so um, some people know those as, as um, aspirin, um, which are antiplatelet regimens. Um, and uh, irregular heartbeat, uh, if you have an irregular heartbeat, there are regimens that we can start you on to try and uh, get that heartbeat into a regular rhythm. Um, but one aspect that that I did not address last time was sleep apnea. Uh, sleep apnea, which is the interruption yeah. of the that leads to poor oxygenation and cessation of your 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 cycle that's interrupted. So people who snore and then hesitate. Um, there is a large prevalence of undiagnosed sleep apnea that leads to high blood pressure, arrhythmias, which are irregular heart rhythm and heart disease, and so. Under diagnosis of sleep apnea and the undertreatment of sleep apnea can lead to a high prevalence of cardiovascular disease in a particular region, such as located. And so having a sleep study test and treating that with a CPAP machine, which is a machine that increases oxygenation while you sleep, are simple treatment modalities that we can offer patients. There are others who require invasive procedures. So, for instance, if you have a clogged artery, it's just like the pipe in your house. If the pipes in the kitchen are clogged up, you call the plumber. <laughs> and so, right. It's the rotor rooter. So, right. that's what I do. Right. I am the rotor rooter guy that comes in and wow. clogs the artery in the heart or in the leg or blood, uh, clogged arteries going to the kidneys. Um, and uh, it's a procedure that's done in, in either the hospital setting or outpatient setting. Um, and um, those are same-day procedures where a stent or a balloon is inflated to uh, bust open the plaque, uh, restores blood flow to the region that's affected, and patients go home within a few hours. Um, so our technologies have come far in the, in the field of cardiology, and we're, we're looking forward to what it has to offer in the next five to ten years as well. But um, majority of the of the intervention is a lifestyle and dietary modification. Mm. Right. Yeah. Uh, it's it's like you said earlier. Our risk factors we can't change with regard to family history and that kind of 
kind of thing. But we can alter whether or not those risk, risk factors actually affect us by by lifestyle change. Correct. So, Correct. Uh, in terms of, like, for instance, you know, like a smoker, anyone right. who uh, smokes is exposed to nicotine, which elevates your heart rate and blood pressure, but also carbon monoxide, which reduces your oxygen levels in your blood, forcing your heart to work harder. So mm. if, you, if, if, you, I were, if you were a smoker and you quit smoking, you start within one year after completion of smoking, the risk of heart attacks and stroke drops by 50%. And after 15 wow. years, your risk level almost matches that of someone who's never smoked. So those are those are kind of things that one should to do. Same thing with someone who does not exercise. Um, mm-hmm. If you start exercising, about 50 percent of heart attacks are reduced by walking 30 minutes a day. 80 uh, percent of vigorous activity for about one to two times a week will decrease your risk of heart attacks significantly. And that also reduces the medicines that you might need for your diabetes or your sleep apnea or your hypertension. And it also decreases stress levels, which is also a risk mm. factor for heart, heart disease. Wow. And, yeah. So these are, these are active things someone can do. If you're smoking, get into smoking cessation or talk to your doctor about, you know, a, a smoking cessation program or that they have even medications uh, these days that, that help. And then, you know, I guess we talked about this on the previous shows, exercise. Um, you know, and this is very valuable. And I like what you said, that sometimes the exercise can either take away your medicines or at least decrease the dose that you might need. Absolutely. It lowers your, your, your bad cholesterol levels. It increases your hot, your good cholesterol levels. It improves your blood glucose and your and, – and in terms of weight loss, like if you exercise, you lose weight. And anything from a 2.5% to a 14% change in your weight can lead to improved sugars, improvement in your blood pressure. You might not eventually need the CPAP, uh, the CPAP machine that's used to treat your sleep apnea if you can decrease mm-hmm. your neck by one or two inches. You know, I always, my men, the men who come into my office who have a neck size of 17 or over who do have sleep apnea, I always advise them. If you lose one or two neck sizes, I promise you that you will get off your CPAP machine. And they really? come back and yes, and testimonials, yes, sir. So yeah. they, they do. So you say? Yeah. I didn't mean to interrupt, but I think it's important here. So you're saying if you have a neck size of 17, that 17 can increase your chances. Oh, CPAP. 17 and a half. Uh huh. Yes. And so, but however, if you lose weight and decrease that size. You significantly decrease your possibly decrease your your need for CPAP machine. No CPAP Absolutely, it decreases your risk for heart failure, arrhythmia, uh-huh. and heart attacks because by decreasing your chances for CPAP machine, which is a risk factor for all those three conditions. That that is some good practical information that you know one 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 could could really um, take advantage of and significantly stay out of the doctor's office. Absolutely. Uh, so to speak. And what are some other things that you, you know, I, I noticed that you did a lot with women. Uh, how yes. can women, you know, women are catching up with us as far as men because they, they're now doing some of the some of the same things as men do with regard to working and that kind of thing. They're already taking care of kids at home. But you, do you see any parallels there uh, or, or some, some things that women might do uh, differently? Well, the first thing uh, that that I would advise the women who are listening is to uh, take their symptoms and what uh, very seriously. Um, mm-hmm. Especially one in three heart disease, it's it, it's twofold. It's not only because of the lack of um, awareness of their symptoms, but also it's because as a medical community and as providers, we do not take women seriously when they present their office. For instance. I told you that more women present with unusual fatigue uh, when uh-huh. they have a heart attack. Um, they come to the primary care physician's office, and a doctor should put women on other things before screening them and doing an EKG and figuring out that they're having a heart attack. So uh, when a woman has a symptom, she, he, she is more likely to take care of the kids, take care of the church, 
right. uh, grandpa or seeking medical help. So women have to be more aggressive in seeking help, and if they're not satisfied with the initial help, get a second opinion. Um, in terms of um, women and the effect of estrogen, you know, there there is this protective effect that estrogen has until the menopausal phase states. And women um, after menopause do seem to have more prevalence of heart disease because they lose that protective benefit of estrogen. And so um, uh, knowing their risk factors, making sure that they um, address their cholesterol, uh, making sure that their dietary uh, uh, changes are implemented in terms of increasing their fruit and vegetable intakes, increasing consumption of foods that are high in fiber and whole grains, um, decreasing the intake of dietary sugars, increasing their protein intake, um, sufficient in- intake of healthy fats such as avocados, nuts, oil, olives, and olive oils. Um, and you can never go wrong with increasing water intake unless specified by your doctor to restrict it. Um, those are the kind mm-hmm. of things that have to do. And lastly, they need to check their thyroid levels. Every, oh, Every woman over the age of 25 should have a thyroid level checked at some point because if your thyroid levels are abnormal, they can lead to regular heart rhythms, they can lead to congestive uh-huh. heart failure, and they can also lead to abnormal cholesterol profiles. And so you, as, as a physician, that's something I look at when women present um, to my office. Right. You know, and I think in previous discussions you had mentioned that uh, and you know the statistics better than I do that some women uh, have had, you know, a, a lot of women have had, you know, the routine, you know, pap smear and, and right. mammograms, but right, right. only a small percentage uh, have ever had a cholesterol profile. Yeah, so, yeah, that's, that's, uh, and I appreciate you for bringing that up. Um, so if you look at um, our surveillance in terms of lack of awareness, Um, 25% 25 of adult women have never had a cholesterol profile tested, despite the fact that any adult over the age of 20 should have a cholesterol profile. Um, But as of of the early 2000s, close to 90% of women have had a pap smear in the prior one to three years. Over 80% Mm. of women have a mammogram within the past one to three years. But it's sad that in a population that has a high, pre- high, a high prevalence of cardiovascular disease, almost a quarter of them have never had their cholesterol tested. And if you look at the trends of mortality, meaning the death rates from cardiovascular disease, men have significantly uh, uh, been on the decline over the past few years, but women have, have slowly declined but are yet to catch up to men. And I think a statistic like that proves why. Um, they're, they're less involved in clinical trials. If you look at clinical trials, they're are out now in, in all the major trials. You see less women mm-hmm. enrolled and minorities enrolled. So we need to, we as professionals and we in the medical community also have to be more aggressive in involving women and minorities in a lot of studies to kind of come up with therapies that across the board target their population as well. Right. Well, you know, one question I, I get, and I, I follow this, and that's the uh, the, the BMI. Correct. Can you help us out on that? You know, I I know it's you know, I think it's an excellent tool, but I know it's probably imperfect. But but how do you interpret that? How, does the BMI and 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 for those in the audience, BMI uh, stands for body mass index. Um, how did, does that come into play? I mean, I hear some people say, well, you know. Uh, you know, that's not for a certain segment of the population, blah, blah, blah. But to me, it's probably one of the best things out there. But hey, you're the cardiologist. How, does that play in your in your practice? Well, it does. Um, <laughs> it does significantly <laughs> in, in my practice. I mean, the body mass index is a value um, basically uh, derived from the mass uh, which is the weight of a patient and the height of an individual is defined as the body mass divided by the square of the body height, and it's expressed in certain units. And then it's broken down into uh, different categories uh, based on adults versus kids. Um, you know, an adult, um, 
normal um, BMI uh, should be from uh, 18 to 25, and overweight mm-hmm. is 25 to 30. And then a moderately obese patient is 30 to 35, a severely obese patient is 35 to 40, and very severely obese is 40 and above. Um, in terms of my practice and where I'm specifically located, when you look at um, obesity, um, I always rank them in colors, actually. <laughs> mm. I rank them okay. in, red, in red, yellow, and blue. And blue meaning uh-huh. you're, uh, you're in Colorado, which is the healthiest state, and you have a GMI population that's within normal ranges for the most part. They're very healthy, and mm. they have a very low percentage of cardiovascular disease. I'm located in a red state, and most people in the south, okay. southeast, located in, in, uh, are located in the red. Um, so we do see a very high either overweight and obese population. Over 75% of my patient population are either termed overweight or obese based on their BMI. Wow. Yeah. So that's why um, if you look at 60% of U.S. adults lack a regular physical exercise routine, um, there are 40% of adults that have no leisure time activity, um, and you know, especially in women where nearly 50% of them um, can have their cardiovascular risk decreased by being physically active, um, you want them to be aggressive when it comes to walking and um, vigorous activity. And so, um, as we discussed earlier, we try and push that um, to not only decrease their risk of heart attack significantly, you know, you can you can decrease your risk of heart attack by 98% just by vigorous activity five to six times a week. So if you wow. can go outside mm. and walk in the hot weather, I always encourage them to um, either swim. Swimming is a great activity for them, uh, aerobic right. exercise. Um, biking is something that's also good, again, on a, on a, on a treadmill bike as well, um, in an indoor setting. Um, and just try to, you know, we challenge them to try and lose between 2.5% to 15%, which can lead to improved blood glucose levels, improved insulin levels, so you can regulate your diabetes and lowering your triglycerides and, and improving your good cholesterol, which is called your HDL. Excellent. Yeah, um, and like we tell everybody on this show, I mean, you know, the weekly wellness show is for is it's an information show. It's for informational purposes only. Uh, but we want you to take that information and have that discussion with your doctor. You know, we're talking about starting an exercise program. Well, you should probably chat with your physician about that and 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 you know decide what's what's best for you. I mean, I like all the ones you mentioned. Uh, you know, with the swimming particularly and the walking, but something as simple as walking is very is is very key. Uh, when you see patients in the office uh, and they want to start an exercise program, uh, what do you look at? I mean, I guess you look at the test that you've already done and, and the potential tolerance uh, for that patient. Yeah. That's a good question. That's actually an excellent question. The first thing I determine is one, there's, there's two organs that are very important, right? The one is how well does your heart pump blood flow to all your organs? So that's important. Mm-hmm. That determines your exercise capacity. So there are things where you can uh, you do an ultrasound of your heart, which is an echocardiogram, to determine if there's any abnormalities with either the pump function of the heart or the valve. And then the other thing that I do is I also make sure that they do not have any circuit, uh, poor circulation. So if they have anything yeah. that will them walking, uh, we test for the circulation to their limbs. If those are not a problem, um, you can determine their exercise tolerance by putting them on a treadmill briefly and seeing how well they can tolerate in a vigorous or just a simple walking um, exercise. And that comes in different formats. We can spend a whole show talking about stress testing. So, right. <laughs> so it all depends on their risk factors, their past medical history, and their exercise tolerance after ruling out um, comorbid uh, diseases that can impede um, a standard exercise program. Um, I also like to link them up with um, uh, uh, a trainer um, or uh, someone at the Y or the local YMCA who can also start a regimented program for them and give us some feedback as to what are some of the limitations are. 
another component is the majority of my patients who do not do well with vigorous exercises have undiagnosed sleep apnea, and that's why that's important. Because uh-huh. even the heart might be fine, the lungs, in terms of oxygenation uh, of blood flow, is not adequate. And so that has to be treated. Um, and they need to quit smoking as well because uh, nicotine does not do well when it comes to um, uh, appropriate oxygenation of, of blood flow. So those wow. are the kind of things that before I start them on the regimen, I encourage them to undergo vigorous exercise activity. Okay. Well, I, I, in the media, uh, we've got about three or four minutes left, but I think we have a lot of time to, uh, have time to address this. What's the deal on varicose veins? Um, I see a lot of commercials. <laughs> is that or is that is that a bad sign, uh, particularly for women? I, I see all these commercials about you know come have your varicose veins taken care of. From a cardiology standpoint, what's your perspective on that? So uh, one has to understand um, what um, venous um, insufficiency is um, and mm-hmm. what varicose is. So um, let me just give you um, insight to that. When blood flows down from the heart to the legs, they go down in your arteries. But what goes down must come up, and they go back up through the veins. Um, The veins are structures that have valves in them because they're a low-pressure system, and they're going Mm -hmm. against the high-pressure heart system that's pumping a lot of blood out. So basically, your veins have to be adequate and open enough to allow blood flow to go up and then close behind that blood flow to prevent the blood from coming back down. But also your calf muscles, which are also called your pump muscles, have to augment mm-hmm. that to push it all the way up. So when you talk about varicose veins, they are part of a constellation of symptoms called venous insufficiency. Venous insufficiency mm. affects about 30 million Americans. But here's the key statistic. Only about 1.9 million are treated. Wow. wow. I repeat, oh, 13 people affected, 1.9 treated. And it's um, majority, 72% of them are females over the age of 60 to 69. Um, a lot of them have risk factors, which are basically uh, occupations where they're on their feet a lot or have had a history of clots in their lower extremity. Um, they've had, they're obese. Um, and they have other risk factors, and these can be treated easily as an outpatient. Um, but the first thing that we recommend is we rule out arterial insufficiency, making sure the pump mm-hmm. on the legs are okay, and then we recommend them to have compression stockings, which basically help augment the blood flow up to their legs, and then there are outpatient procedures that can be done to treat these conditions in less than, in less than 30 minutes. They can be treated. Wow. <laughs> majority of the cases. And um, and they they do lead to significant improvement in these patients, but one has to check in with not only the specialist but also the um, the uh, insurance company of the patient to make sure that those procedures are either will be covered or not covered before a patient undergoes the procedure. Excellent, excellent. Well, Doctor Fakarady, I we gotta have you back on the show. I mean, cardiology is so broad. And we touched on a lot of great points today, but we we I mean we could come back and just talk about stroke by itself, valve problems okay. by itself. So I want to extend an open invitation to you uh, to come back and, and and we can drill down on even more of these. But I think we had a good start today, and I'm so grateful that you were able to to join us today. Andre, I truly appreciate the opportunity and the platform and look forward to coming back. Great show. Great. That is simply marvelous. Uh, So, ladies and gentlemen, that concludes another episode of the Weekly Wellness Show. If you missed any of this, you can always listen to it on podcast. If you think this information will help anyone else, share the show. Just let them know. Taking Us Out is a group of jazz artists collectively known as In Groove. So until next week, I encourage you to be happy, be healthy, and be kind.
Da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da